Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Burntwine, erstwhile monk-turned-traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world, that ours is not a loving God, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Burntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available. This is John Roca, one third of the Geek Buddies, with this awesome ad for you. If you like this show and you want to make your own, and some of you have reached out and asked us about making your own podcast, well, let me tell you about Anchor. It's free. There's creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. And now you can even add any song from Spotify directly to your episodes. The possibilities are endless for what you can create, whether it's music analysis, your own radio show, or something the world's never heard before. Go ahead and let your freak flag fly. Anchor will distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and so many more places. And you can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. It's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. Take it from us here at the Geek Buddies. Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Now, on with the Geek Buddies show. Welcome to another brand new The Geek Buddies! We're back in to have some fun in the world of geek here. We're going to get into so many things today, and we thank you all so much for joining us right off the bat. And for those of you who are new, thank you very much for taking the chance on the Geek Buddies, whether you're doing that on the podcast stream or here on the Outlaw Nation YouTube channel. And for those of you who keep coming back every week, thank you very much for staying on the train with us. The way this show works is we each take a news topic or a geek news item. We talk about it amongst ourselves. Take a break and jump into our main topic. And our main topic is going to be a spoiler review of Doom. But before we get into all of that, you guys have been asking for it. You've been clamoring for it. I'm doing my knife thing. You know, I'm all in. Uh, so we're going to talk about all that. So that's definitely going to be our main topic. But before we get to the main topic, let's introduce ourselves first. Before we get to anything in the show, let's introduce ourselves. I am the outlaw John Roker, writer, producer, and host here on the Outlaw Nation and on the Geek Buddies. Mike. I am Michael Atreides, and I am a writer <laughs> and producer of animated TV shows and movies and leader of House Atreides. Ooh, nice. I wish I was. I would be married to the leader of House Atreides. Like, Hello. But, but you could grow a beard like him, I think. I, I could grow a beard like him. Yeah. I just, whew. Hmm. Spoiler alert. There's a favorite part of my movie, and uh, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's Atreides. Hello. Uh, Shannon. And this is Shannon. I'm classing up the joint today, McClung. I'm an animation writer and a television actor where you may have seen me on Silicon Valley, Brooklyn Nine-Nine, and Modern Family, and not in Dune, because my <laughs> facial hair looks good to a certain point, but once it gets to that Oscar Isaac length, it I look like a vagrant. Yeah, I'll take the uh, I'll take the um, Javier Bardem part uh, in a heartbeat. In a heartbeat, I can't. I don't have the manliness of Oscar Isaac, so I'll take the more subtle approach, like Javier Bardem. Does. Yeah, <laughs> but uh, no, no. We're gonna... after Halloween, after Halloween weekend, I kind of woke up feeling like Baron Harkonnen. So <laughs> that's, 
That's how I felt Monday. Let morning. me tell you something. I think the whole world has felt like him coming out of that tar bath in uh in COVID nineteen times. Let me just tell you, we've all had those moments. A lot so. of dabbing yourself with a wet cloth. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's a rough morning. It's a rough morning. Some mornings it feels like I ate poison. All right. By so way, how is it? Wait. By the way, was how how was everyone's Halloween? Oh how yeah. Everyone, Halloween. Halloween check in. Halloween check in. Shannon, how was your Halloween? What did you do? I mean, I ended up getting called in for work. So like oh. the night before, I'd gone to a uh, a big haunted house called Reign of Terror in a, in oh, a nice. city outside of L.A. called Thousand Oaks. It's like a 45-minute haunted house. Um, the next day, I got called into work. So that night, I was oh. tired, and I sat down with some takeout and watched about 12 episodes of Treehouse of Horror. So. <laughs> That's a great yeah. way to spend Halloween. Not bad. Yeah, not bad. Mikey? Uh, oh my God. Well, uh, I did some pumpkin carving on Friday night. I went to a couple of Halloween parties on Saturday yeah. <clears throat> and then on Sunday, uh, started drinking around noon and, uh, headed out to the boulevard, uh, in West Hollywood and costume and, and hit Still. some parties. Well, it wasn't the, the West Hollywood you. carnival. Well, the West Hollywood carnival wasn't happening per se the way oh, it usually does because okay. of COVID, but the bars are all open in West Hollywood, so most of the most of the gays that I know were like, "Well, fuck it, put your costumes on and Sunday fun day." So that's what we did. And then I ended up at a karaoke Halloween party in the oh, hills that nice. night, uh, and left there around midnight. And so, I, I mean, listen, going from about noon to midnight—that's about a twelve-hour stretch of, yeah. uh, of 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 costumed drinking, and I actually survived it. So. That was good. Shannon saw me on Monday morning in a writer summit, and uh, it was it was a slow <laughs> it was a slow morning Monday morning. But I I, I made it through and I survived. Uh, and if you do follow me on Instagram, you know that what did not survive are my yeah. Loki horns for my squid Loki costume. Thankfully, my dog waited until after all of my costume festivities to eat yeah. my Loki horns. So uh, so probably, that was my Halloween. Probably very upset that you weren't around. So thought he'd uh, state his case. But he was upset yep. with you that you weren't He was upset. What about you? I saw I saw some uh, outlaws. I saw some very intimidating outlaw passing out candy photos. <laughs> Domesticated <Are> you... <laughs> outlaw. Well, listen, it's like those it's like those uh, memes, right? This is how my night started. Uh, this is how my night ended. Yeah, sitting there wrapped up in the blanket like an old man. Absolutely. So that was oh, my yeah. Halloween. But, oh, if you but, are, if you are listening, if you are listeners oh, listening right. to this, you missed a uh, you missed a very tough looking outlaw next to a uh, to grandmother outlaw wrapped yeah, in a blanket. Basically. Look, it gets cold. <laughs> If if you've seen Young Guns too, the outlaw <laughs> vaguely looks like older Billy the Kid. <laughs> I'm hitting out some candy. That's basically his voice. <laughs> Extent of Emilio's acting in that movie. But no, I I absolutely wore the. I mean, it got cold in San Diego, but it was it was our first time doing a residential Halloween because we didn't do it last year because we just moved into the place. So we thought we'd we'd do it up. I thought maybe five kids were going to show up because. Not a lot of people know us in the neighborhood, and we don't have kids. Where a lot of people do have kids in this neighborhood, uh, so we didn't have anybody to show up. But man, we went through four bags of candy. There were, I mean, I'm talking Costco-sized bags of candy, and we were telling people to only take like two or three or four, not too much. And by the end, we only had just a little bit, uh, and we did it with my girlfriend and my girlfriend's sister and her boyfriend and their two little uh, Chihuahua dogs hung out with us all night. So it was a very what, very fun Halloween night. Yeah. What kind of candy? Does the outlaw pass out? Uh, Almond Joy, 100 Grand, Peanut M&M's, Tootsie Rolls, Skittles. 
But fun uh, size, right? Yeah, the fun, fun size. All the fun okay. size stuff was there. Yeah, whatever you see at Costco, we got four bags of that. Oh, we had two, and then the uh, sister brought two bags just in case. And who, who would have thunk it? We got through everything, and we had some barbecue to wrap up the night. So it was a good, good Halloween. And I got to meet some of my neighbors, got to meet some of their kids. Great costumes. Let me tell you something. You may think you live in a bubble in L.A. and think only they know all this. Now you come out here, man. There were a lot of Superman costumes, a lot of inventive Mortal Kombat costumes, anime costumes, Dragon Ball Z costumes. There was a it ran the gamut. There were some uncomfortable costumes on some young girls that I thought were inappropriate to wear over their age. But it's all life. And, you know, it's just my old man opinion. But I thought it was really great to see the inventiveness of the uh, all the kids there with their costumes. So. Yeah, I was, I, you know, I'm never doing that again, uh, doing the, uh, with Michael going out into West Hollywood. This is my life now, sitting on the uh, couch or sitting on the chair with a blanket, handing out candy. Well, fortunately, as both of you know, I have enough energy to party for all three of us That's for true. the next few years That's at least. True. That's true. I never thought I'd be the young man going, what's your costume? What are you dressed up as, young man? And that is exactly what I became, so it's a shame. Uh, anyway, let's jump into our stuff here. Shannon, I think you start us off uh, today. I am. We're starting with trailers, trailers, trailers. Exciting week of some new stuff dropping to start off a trailer that we had no clue was about to drop. But we got our first look at the book of Boba Fett for Disney+. Plus. Every galaxy has an underworld. We got some better shots of Tamora Morrison, of Ming-Na Wen. We got to see uh, Jennifer Beals of Flashdance fame dressed up as a a Twi'lek. Yeah, sets really sets an interesting tone. We get a little bit of that Boba Fett theme that was introduced in The Mandalorian Season 2 and just um, sort of this uh, power vacuum on Tatooine that... Boba Fett is going to go in and fill in the absence of uh, Jabba the Hutt uh, uh, and Bib Fortuna, who mm. at, by the end of uh, Mandalorian Season 2, if you watch that series, you know what happened, uh, that Boba <laughs> Fett got rid of him. Um, but gentlemen, what did we think of the first look at the book of Boba Fett? John, let's start with you. Uh, you know, I did a trailer reaction to this one. I just jumped out of bed, jumped on top as soon as I woke up. I like I was so excited. You know, to me, I see the Mandalorians as the Latinos of the Star Wars universe. And so I've always gravitated to them. And with Boba, I mean, he ends in a vowel. So uh, so that should tell you right there. But I was excited to see what we were going to get. Uh, seeing Tamora come back uh, with season two of The Mandalorian, I made a kind of comments. He looked a little old and blah, blah, blah. Did it fit time-wise? Well, they seem to have worked on some things with him. He seems to have found the tanning booth. Seems to have, like, lost a little bit of weight. He looks, he looks svelte, and he's ready to take over the Empire. And seeing Ming, Ming-Na Wen once again leading another series connected to Disney with ABC, with Agents S.H.I.E.L.D., and now with Book of Boba Fett. Great to see them together with the chemistry and hearing Mando's voice. I thought I heard Mando's voice saying, the last time I saw you was sitting on that on Jabba's throne. So what does that mean? So will he have a guest spot, one or two episodes maybe? Who can say? It's just Pedro recording the lines in the freaking booth. So it ain't going to cost him that much. But overall, I thought it was a great window into what we're going to get from this series. I think that's 10 episodes, one hour each, or eight episodes, one hour each. Either way, we're going to have a lot of fun with this. And I like that we've got new species, new new characters are going to be involved in this, new adventures. And it had that Godfather feel with all them sitting around the table uh, with like the head of the five families. So, so much of it that I really, really enjoyed. And I wonder if some of the storylines from George Lucas's Underworld, Scrapped Underworld series might find their way into this series. I don't know. But overall, incredibly excited. 
only a minute and a half, and I'm a thousand percent on board. Mike. Uh, yeah, I was super excited. Kind of same thing. I was. It was. It was a great surprise. I always love when a, when you wake up and a, something that you had no idea was coming just like lands right there. Um, really, really great trailer. Yeah. Really excited about it. Uh, really interested to see how far they're going to go with everything because I don't think that uh, I don't think that Boba is just consolidating crime on Tatooine. There's not a lot of crime on Tatooine. <laughs> There's not a lot on Tatooine except sand. Uh, but you know, it really does feel like. Filoni is kind of continuing a lot of those stories from, um, you know, in Clone Wars where Darth Maul and Savage Opress sort of kind of collect got all of the criminal uh, underworld together mm. under Shadow Collective, which then, if you watch Solo, kind of led to Darth Maul kind of putting together Crimson Dawn and being the head of Crimson mm. Dawn. And so just the idea of what Darth Maul had been doing in the animation that kind of led into his cameo in Solo, uh, kind of that building into what Boba is picking the pieces up of now. Um, you know, even rumors, not 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 rumors per se, but a lot of questions about whether uh, Amelia Clark's character Kira from oh, Solo might yeah. end up showing up in, in the Book of Boba in some way, because in the Star Wars comics, uh, she's still kicking around in there as the leader of Crimson Dawn once Darth Maul uh, goes goes the way of the of the Sith and the Jedi sometimes go with by by the hand of Obi-Wan Kenobi. So, you know, I think that there's a lot of really cool potential um, to see this sort of intersect with some of those ideas that we, that if you were a fan of Clone Wars, that you really, really liked. And uh, I also agree that uh, Tamora Morrison clearly got on that galactic treadmill um, <laughs> between Mandalorian and now. He definitely is looking yeah. like a... a, a a, a svelter version of everyone's favorite bounty hunter. Um, yeah, and I just, you know, the the three pieces of Star Wars are the Rebels, the Empire, and then the bounty hunters slash underworld. And I love that this show is just going full into the bounty hunter slash underworld side of things, and I just can't wait to see what we're going to get. I think we're going to get a lot of big surprises. Oh, yeah. Yeah, sure. I, I, I agree. I mean, it, it looks like a blast. Um, just, just... Definitely has that Mandalorian look, but just a completely different tone. I mean, you know, uh, Ming Na Wen and Tamora Morrison—they're going—they're going to take care of business. Mm -hmm. uh, so December 29th on Disney Plus. So Hawkeye starts on the 24th. Um, we'll have one. It'll finish on the 22nd because I believe we're getting two episodes on the 24th, and then the next week will be the Book of Boba Fett. Uh, our next trailer. I hope you guys are enjoying your break. I hope you guys are enjoying a <laughs> review break because it's going to start like crazy. Anyway, yeah. Woo. Oh, what is that? 15 weeks in a row? Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> 15, 13, something like that. Anyhow, yeah. uh, next trailer. <laughs> Who doesn't love to see Roland Emmerich destroy a city <laughs> on the planet Earth? Well, this time, <laughs> instead of the weather, <laughs> instead of aliens, well, maybe he's using the moon. <laughs> Um, so this one, Moonfall, stars Halle Berry, Patrick Wilson, and also John Bradley from uh, Game of Thrones. Look, I mean, people, Roland Emmerich movies are very easy to bag on, but boy, do they know how to cut a, 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 a really intriguing trailer. The first one seemed like your standard Roland Emmerich film cities getting destroyed this one gives us a little bit more uh a little bit more behind the curtain we get to see donald sutherland's sort of conspiracy theorist character and we find out that during one of the apollo missions when the radio went silent something happened and it seems like they have awakened some sort of sentient alien presence on the moon so this looks like a blast to me but gentlemen what did you all think of our second look at moonfall mikey 
a Roland Emmerich film is a very specific kind of thing. And, <laughs> and I think if you go into a Roland Emmerich film, just knowing you're going into a Roland Emmerich film, you're going to have a good time. It is definitely something you want to see on the big screen. It's great. I have been in more than one Roland Emmerich theater where <laughs> it was a great movie going experience but only because the entire audience decided to turn on the movie at the same time <laughs> and just started laughing at everything that happened. So, yeah. Which movie I, I, was this? Do you remember? Oh, God. I think it was a couple. Uh, yeah. Day After Tomorrow? Day After Tomorrow? Okay. Maybe it was okay. Day After Tomorrow. Is that, is it that must the have one been Independence weather, Day. Is that the one where the weather chases them down the hallway? Day After Tomorrow? Yep. Chasing yeah. Dylan Hall yeah. down the hallway. Yep. Yeah. When the cold weather chased them down the hall. That, I think that was a moment where the audience was like, all right, nope. Call the ball on that one. Uh, so I think watching this trailer, I was like, yeah, kind of feel like the this is going to be about at that level. And uh, I will absolutely go on a Saturday or Sunday afternoon and get some popcorn and sit there and wait to turn on the movie with the rest of the audience. <laughs> uh, well, I'll say this. I, I love the, th the trio of uh, Sam from Game of Thrones with Halle Berry, Patrick Wilson. Listen, if you're if Roland Emmerich, not always knocking out of the park. I know a lot of people don't like Independence Day Resurgence. I did for the fun that it was. Um, I think Shannon did too. Didn't we like it? We we, 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 saw, it. we saw it together. We, yeah. we walked out of the theater going, what was everyone's problem? We had a good time with that one. So, you know, you know, and my, but Michael's right. If you go in understanding this is a Roland Emmerich film, you cannot judge it by what a normal film should be judged by. It's like, Am I going to have a good time? And is the audience going to go along with me to either make fun of this thing or enjoy the stupidity of it all? Because it's it can be stupid fun or it can be ridiculous. It all depends on what kind of movie you, you're going to get when you walk through the door. That being said, this trailer was fantastic. I thought it was so well done. It looks very clean. It does look cheap. It looks very much on point. You've got a great group of people involved in Patrick Wilson and Halle Berry. Remember, Halle Berry is an Oscar-winning actress. Patrick Wilson, very well known on both the camera and on stage, grounds both uh, grounds this film and i like the actor who plays sam so all of that really works to to give us an unusual threesome that we can follow through this whole thing plus you throw in aliens you throw in this so to me the look of this thing felt a little more serious felt like the special effects were more on point the i like i like that it looks uh like they spent a lot of money on it so overall i'm like okay so they people these people understand if we go a little bit extra People will love it even more, and they'll spend their money to go see it multiple times. So coming out of this, I'm excited to see it. That being said, two teaser trailers? What the fuck? At some point, you're 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 kind of messing around with the definition. You can't have two teaser trailers that are over two minutes long each. At some point, that's an official trailer, for God's sake. So that's that's my only issue with this. Well, Moonfall I like, comes I like, out. I like, I like, I like John's. All this one looks like it's more serious in tone yes! with the giant black <laughs> snake magnet creature snaking out of the moon that is lowering to Earth to eat the cities. Look, you're talking to me a purple rock god that can snap a finger and take out half the galaxy with serious. So I think it's okay that this thing could be a little bit more serious. I don't know, uh, but I hear your point. I hear your point. It's a Roland Emmerich film. Well, Moonfall comes out February 4th. Um, and <laughs> yeah, a, that doesn't bode well, does it? <laughs> well, and, and, and things are about to bode worse because a week before, we finally get to see Morbius starring Jared Leto. Mm. So the first trailer for this 
was like two years ago mm-hmm. that it came out. I mean, obviously, this is one of those films that that was affected by COVID, kind of jumped around the schedule a little bit. Um, I remember watching that teaser and being like, this is going to go one of two ways, because I do think Leto is a good actor. Mm. Um, I, I think some of the choices he was making, I'm like, I- I'm kind of into this. There's also the other side. I'm like, this could be sort of a weird 90s looking uh, uh, supernatural action movie that may not stick the landing. Getting our second look two years later, they're really leaning into the marvel of it all. Like we get more shots of uh, Michael Keaton's Adrian Toomes. We get Jared Leto making sort of a quip that he's Venom. And oh, I'm just kidding. It's Dr. Michael Morbius. Um, We see some imagery that we kind of associate with the Amazing Spider-Man series. We get a shot of the Spider-Man suit that really looks like Tobey Maguire. Whatever's going to happen post No Way Home um, in December is going to be very, very interesting. Um, so yes, I have more thoughts on Morbius, but I'll turn it over to you gentlemen first. What did we think of our second look in two years at Morbius? Mikey, you're the comic books guy. You tell me, you tell us. There's, there's, there's two parts to this trailer. One of them is whatever it is. And one of them as a, as just a, here is a story about the character Morbius from the comics. Like this looks fine. Like, there's nothing about it. I would say that it looks like it's maybe taking itself a bit more seriously than Venom does. Oh. Uh, I do think Jared Leto's a good actor. Mm-hmm. I think, look, okay, I'm trying to find a cure for my debilitating disease. I end up inadvertently becoming a vampire-like creature, and I don't know if I'm going to be the hero or the villain of this story. Like, Sony's really doubling down on the anti-hero nature of a lot of Spider-Man's rogues gallery. And so, like, mm-hmm. as far as the trailer itself went, I kind of went, okay. Like, I don't, you know, like that, there was nothing in the trailer that I was like, oh, come on, get out of here. Where <laughs> I start to get stressed out, oh. that nerd, nerd anxiety is <laughs> the fact that Adrian Toomes is clearly in the trailer. Mm-hmm. Who is in the MCU, very specifically. Mm-hmm. But the Spider-Man images on the wall don't seem to be <laughs> Tom Holland and then Morbius says, I'm Venom, but until the post credit sequence of Venom, Venom is not in the MCU. Like, I, mm. I think that Sony might be playing fast and loose with their rules here, and I'm wanting <laughs> to get to the bottom of it. I am like, well, okay, okay, okay. Like, literally, you like, I'm just watching this, and I'm like, so which universe are we in right now? How's this? Where are we? Like, I'm, I'm, having, I'm having multiversal confusion with this trailer um and you know it does like i don't know if you guys heard the rumors i was just reading this morning there's rumors online right now that the reason we haven't gotten another no way home trailer is uh that sony and marvel are in an argument about who is going to appear in the trailer wow uh that 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 one side really wants to show some of the people that we think are in the movie that have not been confirmed to be in the movie uh and marvel is like no, you're not going to show them. We want to keep it as a surprise. And so it just, I don't know if those rumors are true, but it just sort of underscores the fact that Sony is like trying to hitch their wagon as hard as they can to the Marvel of it all. Um, But I think they don't fully always understand how that's all supposed to work. And that was the part of the trailer. So like as a trailer on its own, as just a movie that exists where Jared Leto is going on this journey, I I actually like was like, yeah, I I would go check this out. Like this looks fine. Once we get into what the hell is going on with the Sony part of Spider-Man and the Marvel part of Spider-Man, I start to sweat a little bit. (laughs) As well you should. 
Because you know Sony's not going to sit back and be like, you know what, just do whatever you want, Marvel. We'll go, we're good. We'll just recoup our our part of the of, of the profits. They're going to want to have a say. And no surprise, even if that uh, that rumor sounds like it could be true, like that. Sometimes you hear rumors, you're like, eh. then you hear this one, you're like, yeah, this feels right. They would absolutely battle. I mean, you had that news that Amy Pascal was crying when Feige was pitching what he was pitching. So it's like this. All, so you hear all those rumors, and you're like, yeah, this could make sense to me. Um, but overall, I liked the trailer. As I, said, I did a trailer reaction for this one too, and I really enjoyed the hell out of this one. I had a lot of fun. Uh, I didn't know what to expect. You know, Leto can be sometimes, you know, as we saw with Joker, a little bit like, eh. but this actually worked. He's so really, he's much more relaxed. Certainly, he's been hitting that gym. He looks fantastic, and seeing him kind of navigate this tra- navigate this trail looks like the journey here that he's going to go on it was very interesting and i liked the imagery I, I liked him discovering his powers there in the subway uh the bat radar was interesting the eye thing was cool uh all of that the venom joke i thought worked really well and 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 this looks like the right kind of humor and approach if you're going to do dark and humor combo than fucking venom in my opinion so to me i'm much more excited to see this film than i was to see the other any of the other two venom movies and i feel like i'm gonna have a better experience but i okay i don't i don't like venom 2 but i very much enjoy how much you hate venom 2 i know i I know i'm sorry i i I, your your anger at that movie really fills me with joy (laughs) because you just get so mad because i love venom i mean i bought the original secret wars when they started coming out i loved venom and to see it turn into a a fucking a two-person Abbott and Costello show drives me insane. Anyway, uh, but the MCU stuff of it all, I, I'm in a different camp than Michael because I'm more like, all right, let's see if they, they line it. When they line it up, then I'll start to get upset if it's wrong or not correct or whatever. But for now, I just want to be like, you know what? I trust Mar- uh, Feige. I trust Marvel. And we'll see what they can do here. But yeah, there's I just, I, I it's dangerous. Mike and Shannon, you know, how can I say this correctly without offending anybody? I don't know if I can. We all have someone that we're like, well, I like them, but if I start to work with them, it's going to drag my overall quality down. And I have a worry that Marvel may be like, oh, I don't know if I, if we work with Sony too deeply, Sony might start to drag the quality of Marvel down. And that concerns me when you're trying to line everything up here because Sony has more misses than hits when it comes to their stuff on the superhero side of things. So that's my concern overall when I come out of this trailer. But I liked it, and I'm down. I want to see more. I mean, I'm with you, John. I mean, Michael Michael doesn't agree with this point, but I thought that I thought that Venom joke was solid. I thought, yeah, Leto, I, thought, it was I, thought I thought he delivered that fantastic. And the action, sort of the vampire action of it all, yeah. I think it looks cool. I think I think the, the design on him, it, it, it looks really cool. I mean, uh, but I do share both of your concerns about, you know, there there's again there's the oscorp building from mm. amazing spider-man for eagle-eyed viewers on the 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 paper like you see there's a reference to black cat there's a reference yeah. to rhino and it's like okay you've set up this really big world that is so spider-man centric without spider-man so yeah. it's going to be and again last time we saw adrian tombs he was in prison and yeah. right now he looks like a paramedic so it's going to be very, very interesting to see how this all shakes out. Well, yeah. And to that point, I mean, look, if they try and pull a, 
this is an Adrian Toomes, but it's not the Adrian Toomes that we saw in Homecoming. Like, that's oh, a thing. Oof. Like, that's a thing that we're like, like, there's a thousand ways, like, everything that I'm saying, oh, well, then you had this and you can't have this, you can't have this. There's ways you can do it. Like, you yeah. can slice it and maybe they will do it correctly. I mean, maybe they did sit down with Marvel and they're like, look, our universe is the universe of Tobey Maguire mm. and that's what we're sticking to and your universe is this and these things like maybe they figured that out a long time ago and like we're just slowly getting drips and drabs of it so mm. is it possible that this could all make sense yes it absolutely could um I don't know we'll see yeah, I, yeah. I get very 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 nervous about it all well, if you can party enough for the three of us, you can sweat enough for the three of us, I think, worrying about this because I, oh, I, I I, don't want to get worried about it. I want to hope that they make it connect. And I know you do, too, but I know you've seen the track record as well. Well, we don't have that long to wait because yeah. Morbius comes out on January 28th. Let me ask you something. January 28th, February, are we worried that both of these films are coming out back to back during a certain time? Like. Are you worried that it's coming out in January? January is the dumping ground usually for bad films for studios. February used to be that, but then uh, Black Panther and Dare and uh, Deadpool kind of blew that up. But are we worried about January being a dumping ground, even though it's the end of January? I think there's two well, reasons that I look like maybe because like okay. it, you could be, but I think there's two reasons why it's maybe not right now. One is okay. Like, look, dumping grounds are getting smaller and smaller because yes. there's so many movies coming out and all of the, oh, you can't, like, to your point, oh, well, you can't release a movie in February and then, you know, Black, you can't, Black Panther comes out or you can't, you can't release a movie in March, you can't release right. a movie here and movies come out and prove that wrong and then you're like, oh, okay, that's not the case. I remember when the Rise of the Planet of the Apes came out, it was released in August, and I thought we mm -hmm. were all going to go see a stinker of a movie because who the hell releases a movie in August? And I think Rise of the Planet of the Apes is an amazing movie. So yeah. I think that changes. I think also the other part of it right now that makes it just uh, who the hell knows is mm. that with COVID and movies having been pushed and pulled and whatever, I think studios are desperately trying to find slots now in a year yeah. where you have new movies coming out and yeah. we still have movies that we should have seen a year ago and we need them to come out. So I think that you're just trying to find slots. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, I, I would probably, in terms of release dates, I would say Moonfall, like, yeah, that that seems like a January, February movie. I mean, like the, the, the February that we were talking about with Deadpool and Black Panther, I believe that was President's Day weekend. So the fact that you ah. have a three-day weekend, th Makes there sense. is a reason to release a big movie mm -hmm. on, on around that time. Um, right. With Morbius, I agree with Volk, like, because at one point it was coming out in July. I mean, they had it in in, in big spots. Yeah. Um, but at this point, it's like they just kind of, <laughs> they have to get the movie out at some yeah. point. So again, uh, I think if it had started off as a January release, I would it would be a little more suspect. Uh, okay. But because it did bounce around the schedule so much because of COVID, uh, I'm, giving, I'm giving Morbius a little more grace than I would Moonfall. Okay. Yeah, I mean, Paddington 2 was released in January oh. and so was Paddington. So, I mean, they, you know, before Sunrise was released, Final Destination 2 Split was released in January. So it is possible. It is possible mm -hmm. to have a successful film released in January. It doesn't necessarily mean that it's going to be successful. Cloverfield was January. That did really well as well. So, and Count of Monte Cristo and Taken were both January. People forget Taken was released in January. It felt like a summer movie, but it's a January movie for sure. So, yeah, there's possibilities here. We shall see. And, Febu and February has Ambulance and a couple other films that are supposedly going to be high-profile films. Scream, Black Phone is coming out as well. So, uh, yeah. We'll see. We'll see overall. Uh, all right. Now that we spent 30 minutes on trailers, where are we off to next? 
Uh, well, we are off to a very, very scary hotel where you might check in, but you'll never check out. And uh, it is not the Hotel California. It is the Twilight Zone Tower of Terror. Uh, rumors online saying that uh, Disney has found their director for their upcoming Tower of Terror film based on the theme park ride. And that director is apparently Taika Waititi. Uh... The rumors are that Taika Waititi is coming on board to direct uh, the movie that is was previously announced to be starring Scarlett Johansson, produced by Scarlett Johansson, with a script set to come from Academy Award-winning director Josh Cooley. So, uh, Taika Waititi is a busy guy, apparently, because he's directing pretty much every <laughs> yeah. movie under the sun. So, what Taika is actually doing... Post Love and Thunder, who can say? Maybe it's Flash Gordon. Maybe it's a Star Wars movie. Maybe it's the Tower of Terror. Maybe it's three other projects. I don't really know. Um, but uh, I was going to say that the idea of a Tower of Terror movie from Taika Waititi excites me, but I don't actually even really know what that is. Um, you know, like obviously Disney is going big into their whole sort of theme park movie thing, Pirates of the Caribbean. Huge franchise for them. We all know uh, that they're currently trying to figure out how to reboot, maybe without Captain Jack Sparrow. Yeah. Jungle Cruise did really, really well for them. Um, I know that they're reboot. They're doing a new version of Haunted Mansion since uh, nobody is really super in love with the Eddie Murphy version of Haunted Mansion that came out uh, several years ago. Mm -hmm. And now they're looking at Tower of Terror, which is uh, a ride that many, many of us have a lot of fond memories of. Um, it's spooky. It's creepy. Uh, what do you guys think about Taika taking a crack at it? I mean, it's tied to the Twilight Zone. Uh, yeah. Scarlett Johansson as your lead, Taika Waititi as your director. It, it's it kind of checks off all the boxes for this. This will probably be a fun a, a fun movie. Hmm. Whether or not it actually happens, because of his very his very full dance card, and also remember, he's also an actor. Yeah. Um, he, he just finished a role on the new HBO series, Our Flag Means Death, where, you know, it's the it's the pirate comedy, which if that series does well, I mean, I imagine HBO will want a second season. So mm. if it actually happens, I, I'm sure it'll be I'm sure it'll be great. I mean, this will be this will be sort of a different uh, a different type of film for him. Um, you wonder if they'll they'll kind of go that what we do in the shadows route. I mean, mm. really, really lean into the comedy. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think, I think it could be cool, but of, of the things that are on his schedule, it probably would be at the bottom of my list. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm much more interested in seeing what he would do with Star Wars. Uh, I mean, Flash Gordon, I feel like we've kind of already got it with Ragnarok, but again, he's an, he's an innovative filmmaker. I'm sure he will surprise many a people. I mean, you say Tower of Terror, and I think Haunted Mansion, and I hated that movie, so I I get worried. But, you know, you've got Taika Waititi, who's a fantastic director. Scarlett Johansson, they settled that law. Apparently, he, according to DizInsider.com, which I don't know, sometimes yes, sometimes no. Most of the time, yes, they do a good job with it. But they, uh, they apparently, he signed this deal a few months ago and didn't want to announce it when everything was happening with the Scarlett situation with Disney. So that that's settled. I hope that's settled, and they can go forward with this film great. Josh Cooley is writing it, who did Toy Story 4 and Inside Out, so that's a good pedigree as well. So to me, it seems like they've lined up the right people for this project to be successful. Doesn't mean it's going to be successful. I don't know. But I like the idea of this combo of people involved with this because, I mean, it's a ride that goes like this. Like, it's there's not a lot behind it. 
So they're going to have to work out a whole mythology like they did with Pirates of the Caribbean. But at least Pirates of the Caribbean had a ride where they told you stuff as you were going along the ride. Tower of Terror is like, do, 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 yin, do, 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 do. So I don't know. If you can make a movie out of that, more more watch. You need to watch Behind the Attraction and the Imagineering documentary on Disney Plus because saying that there is not a lot to that ride is a bonkers thing to say. Is there a story behind the ride? Because all I know is absolutely a story to the ride. All right, all right. Fair enough. I know that I've written it a few times, and all I know is I get in it, it drops me, picks me back up, drops me, picks me back up. So if there's more going on, I didn't catch it. So there is a very pertinent pre-show video that also oh. includes safety instructions, which you clearly were not paying attention to. <laughs> so thank goodness you yeah. made it out in one piece. <laughs> That's a fair point. Uh all right, so we'll see. We'll see what happens with that. Uh, anything more to add to that one, Michael? No, I'm just still really disappointed in you, but I'll get over it in a minute. <laughs> I apologize. You know I'm not a big Disney head. In terms of the parks. In terms of the parks. Uh, all right, let's move on to this, uh, this controversy to end our first blog here before we jump into our spoiler review of Dune. Chris Pratt, fresh off being cast as Mario in the new Mario Brothers, uh, is now being ca- has been cast to uh, voice Garfield in a new animated feature. This is exclusive from Hollywood Reporter. Uh, and uh, Andrew Kosov and Broderick Johnson's Alcon Entertainment are behind the new Garfield. It's been picked up worldwide. The script is going to be written by Oscar nominee David Reynolds, who did Finding Nemo. And it's being directed by Mark Dindal, who directed Chicken Little, which was a damn good movie. And those two work together on Emperor's New Groove, which I know all three of us really like. So an interesting uh, bunch of people coming together here to voice this thing. But... A lot of people are saying he's voicing an Italian and he's voicing a lasagna-loving cat. And it just seems weird that Chris Pratt is the go-to all of a sudden to lead these films. And I saw a colleague of mine saying, well, he's a he's a, he's a um, a movie star who can put butts in seats. And I don't think that's true at all. I, I think Guardians of the Galaxy works because of the ensemble. And it's the dinosaurs that sell Jurassic Park. Need I remind you that William H. Macy and Vince Vaughn were leads of freaking uh, Jurassic Park movies. They did a lot of money. So it's the dinosaurs that sell, not Pratt. Uh, so to to me, I'm a little more like, because we've seen his other films crash and burn at the box office or not do well. So do we think this is the right choice? And do you understand the controversy in people's anger about Chris Pratt uh, voicing Garfield? Do we even need a Garfield film? Gentlemen. Shannon? Uh, okay. So, a <laughs> couple of different thoughts here. One, Chris Pratt is a movie star. Like, there, there's no denying that, yes, Chris Pratt is a movie star. And, right. you know, is is that star falling as of recent? Maybe a little bit. I mean, you know, some, some things have come out about him that uh, certain folks are not mm-hmm. a huge fan of in terms mm-hmm. of his possible political leanings. Um, you, but you can't deny, like, his yep. voice work is is stellar. I mean, go back and watch the Lego movie. Like he does a really good job. Yes, is or he... onward or onward. Good sure. onward. Yep. Yeah, perfect, perfect point. Um, is he the guy that would pop into my head for Mario <laughs> and or Garfield? No. Do I do do I honestly care? Nah, not really. I mean, <laughs> it does surprise me that in the wake of the Super Mario announcement seeing how people were not like overjoyed at the fact that Chris Pratt was going to be uh, uh, voicing our favorite mustachioed plumber um, <laughs> that they're like that, that they would go ahead and not really, not really taking the temperature of the, of the audience. Like, Oh, maybe this guy as our, as our big adorable orange cat 
maybe maybe this guy is not the answer. Um, so it surprised me. I mean, you know, and these yeah. deals are in the works for a very long time. It's not like Super Mario was announced and then suddenly they called him up like, hey, while he's in the booth, does he want to say some lines as a cat as well? Um, <laughs> it, it, it does surprise me. But, John, I agree with you. I mean, yeah. his his efforts that have not been attached to a giant property um, have not done that well. Yeah. And, you know, he's not alone in that. A lot of folks uh, who, who might be in like a big franchise picture then go off and, and lead some movies by themselves. And it doesn't it doesn't hit. I mean, that happened with yeah. Ryan Reynolds for a long time. Look at Robert Downey he, Jr. How many of his have hit outside of Marvel? Just sure. uh, just uh, uh, Sherlock Holmes. Yeah. Yeah. So, again, it, it, it doesn't surprise me that that from a studio perspective, they would view that as a get. Um, but the yeah. again the the lack of acknowledgement of of the response to the Mario announcement does surprise me. Um, but at the end of the day, I, I don't care who voices Garfield. <laughs> I mean, you're going to see a lot of people come out. Yeah, I mean, you saw a lot of people come out of the woodwork. Well, that's not my Garfield. Like, yeah, that was weird. <laughs> that was weird. <laughs> like, what voice did you picture in your head? <laughs> if that's the Arbuckle Hill you want to die on, all right. <laughs> Mikey? Yeah, I look, it's just, I think the whole thing is funny. I think the entire mm-hmm. I think the entire internet reaction to Chris Pratt is funny to me. Like I think that at some point, I think it's a mixture of a few things. If I was if I'm being honest, here's what I think it is. There's definitely the Chris Pratt's potential political leanings or religious affiliations, not not his religious beliefs, but more the mm-hmm. organization that he's a part of that a lot of people seem to have issue with. I think that that's a piece of it. I don't think that's all. I don't think it's just everybody being mad because of mm. his political leanings. I think it's a mixture of that combined with a little bit of overexposure. I mean, I think that he just, like, he started booking and all of a sudden it was like Chris Pratt was in every movie, it felt like. Mm-hmm. And you do, you, you run a risk of overexposure. You know, you have to play it smart when you are sort of building your Hollywood career so that it doesn't feel like you're in a movie every five minutes because people do start to get a little annoyed with that. And then, to be honest with you, I think the fact that Peter Quill fucked up so bad in Infinity War has people on a level that they don't understand viscerally angry at Chris Pratt and they still can't let it go. You might be right. I think people are like, hey, you they would have gotten that glove off Thanos if you hadn't fucked up so bad. You don't get to be Mario and Garfield. (laughs) I don't think people actually think that because that is a crazy thing to think. But I think deep down in our guts... Some people have this, like, why am I so mad at him? And that's actually why. <laughs> that's my theory. Um, you Like, look, you're about, like, is he, is he a movie star? He is. He's absolutely, yeah. he's an he's a internationally recognized star. And to Shannon's point, a lot of that stardom does have to do with big franchises. And a lot of other actors fall into that category as well. So he, and he's good. I think he's a solid actor. I have liked Chris mm-hmm. Pratt ever since Parks and Rec. I think the biggest issue here really just does fall into the overexposure. Like, the Mario thing is odd. You know, when you look at the rest of the Mario cast, it's, it's you're like, you're like, Charlie Day as Luigi. I can see it. Anya Taylor-Joy as Princess Peach. Yeah. Jack Black as Bowser. Home run. Seth Rogen as Donkey Kong. I can a thousand percent see that. Yeah. Chris Pratt as Mario. Huh. <laughs> okay. Like, yes, he's amazing as Emmett. I think the, the the fact is that Mario is such an iconically voiced character. Yeah. And not that we all expected to see a Mario movie where he was running around going, it's a me. But like, you expected something in that <laughs> oeuvre, that, and Chris Pratt is not that. So I think the head scratcher of that, 
then combined with like it feels like two weeks later they're like oh by the way he's also garfield and you're like wait there's a garfield movie and it's also chris <laughs> pratt so he's it so it's like i think it has less to do with his specific abilities as an actor to put in a comedic performance for either right. of these roles and more to do with the fact of like chris pratt talk to your team and maybe take a beat just take hmm. a minute don't announce yeah. the two animated iconic characters that you are playing that uh, may not fit what we think of as Chris Pratt within two weeks of each other. Right. And one's going to be right live action, but animated, but his Garfield would be CGI or animated. Right. And then the other one's going to be fully live action. Am I correct? I actually that? don't know. I don't know for sure. Okay. Okay. Cause that's what they did with the old one where Bill Murray right. voiced it. It was a, it was an animated okay. cat and everything else was live action. Yeah. So it could be a live action cat they mess around with. Listen, after having seen Finch, you can do a lot with pets. Um, yeah, I think you make excellent points, Mike. That's actually, those are all really excellent points, especially the uh, like one right on top of the other. Because Jennifer Lawrence kind of suffered from the overexposure she absolutely, too. I was about, I was about to say Jennifer yeah. Lawrence absolutely, who's also I think a great actress. Yes, fell into the exact same trap. Yep, yep. And we've seen her now as a part of ensemble pieces with these films that are coming out. She's not necessarily taking the lead uh, recently on any of these films after her run. So maybe just kind of recalibrating a little bit. Certainly, she had some personal stuff that she went through off camera as well that were really unfair and inappropriate so yeah, yeah there's all kinds of stuff that people are dealing with and you're right shannon all not not just the political stuff the religious stuff comes into it as well that people hear about nowadays it's no longer the bubble man i mean you know people know about this stuff people want to have access to this stuff no matter what town you live in so um all right uh anything else to say on that or are we good to go all right we're going to take a quick break, and when we do, we're going to come back with our spoiler review of Dune. Again, spoiler review. So if you haven't seen it, do not watch this if you don't want anything spoiled. If you don't give a crap, then stick around. We're going to have fun talking about this uh, movie, Dune, right after this. Wait, I know this song. I know this song. That was funny. I was expecting that. That was good. What song is that? I know that song. What song is that? Is that is Sandstorm? A big dance club hit back in 2001. That's right. I loved me some Sandstorm. Oh, I love it so much. I'm blue. That's the next one right after Sandstorm. Um, all right. Uh, all right. Well, let's get into this thing here. We're going to talk about Dune. Movie came out a couple of weeks ago on HBO Max and in theaters. The uh, most recent adaptation after that one in the 80s, starring Dave, uh, sorry, directed by David Lynch, starring Kyle MacLachlan, um, and uh, Max von Sydow and Sting in a leather bikini brief. Uh, but this one stars Timothy Chalamet, Zendaya, Oscar Isaac, Rebecca Ferguson. Uh, and a host of other incredible actors like Jason Momoa and uh, Javier Bardem, as we mentioned earlier, all retelling part one of the story of Dune. So as we do with all these reviews, let's start with our overall thoughts. Mikey, let's start with you as we always do. What is your overall thought of this two and a half hour movie, Dune? I think it's amazing. Okay. I think it is gorgeous. I think it is beautiful. Mm -hmm. I think it very much sticks to the spirit and the plot of what the book is. Um, I think that Denis Villeneuve doesn't, isn't always as interested in the emotional journey as he is in the rest of it. So I think mm. that, I think that Dune is a, just sitting and watching it, it is a 
amazing cinematic achievement. Like with all of the different sci-fi movies and superhero movies and everything that we have out there, to see something like this where you're looking at ships and costumes and vistas and you're like, I feel like I've never seen anything like this before, I think is absolutely amazing. Um, And as someone who's read the book and kind of had an easier time following it than maybe some other people did who didn't read the book, like I was, you know, following everything that went on, but I just found myself not as interested in Paul's journey and Timothy Mm. Chalamet's journey as I wanted to be. I wasn't as invested in the characters. It felt like a bunch of things were happening, but I never really got like super swept up in it Mm. um, where, you know, like when we, whether it be a Marvel movie or a Star Wars movie or some other big movies that we've all seen together where you get so wrapped up that you're cheering and you're screaming and you're super into it. I was like, this is very interesting. This is very, very interesting. <laughs> um, but I didn't uh, I didn't get swept up. Now, is that because we really are only getting the first half of the book? Definitely that's a part of it. Uh, but you know, I just feel like I, I wish I wanted more emotionally, but I think that I got everything I wanted visually and from like an aesthetic standpoint. Mm, mm. That's kind of how I feel about the movie. Okay. Shannon, what are your overall thoughts on the movie? Well, I mean, I think it was an incredibly uh, uh, well-made film about a story that I did not connect to at all. To wow. use something that you had talked about with Eternals, to me, mm. this was a very cold, very distant wow. story. Like, I just, um, as I was watching it, I'm thinking the people that know the book are probably loving this. Like, I'm mm. watching it, and I'm acknowledging the fact that yeah, this is this is a beautiful film, but there's a lot of uh, a lot of exposi- uh, exposition that was either not communicated in the most compelling way or just wasn't communicated at all. I think when you when you go into a big story like this where you're introducing these fantastical new worlds, um, I, I needed a little more about what was going on. There were a yeah. lot of there were a lot of terms. There was just a lack of context um, that I had. Now, no dings on any of the performers. I thought everyone did a great job. Um, some really exciting sequences that I wish there would have been more of. And perhaps that's what we're going to get mm. in that second movie or maybe that third movie. I've heard people saying that there, there could be a third one as well. Oh, like, I know there could be 12, Chin. Well, I know there's a there's series like of books, series, but I thought, they, yeah. I thought they were just talking about the, the first one. <laughs> um, <laughs> I'm I'm totally I'm totally interested to to uh, see the sequel. I watched it again on HBO Max, which as I was watching it in the theater, I was like, I feel like if I had watched this at home, I would have fallen asleep. Mm. Um, I feel like it would it would be a very easy movie to disengage from. Um, having one viewing under my belt and then watching it at home, I was a little more taken with it because the sound design, the visuals, oh, yeah. a lot of it is overwhelming. <laughs> I mean, yeah. the sc- the score in a lot of parts is like, and you know, and I love a score, but I mean, it had me kind of blown up against the back of my chair. Um, watching it in my home where I can regulate the things, um, it, it did make it a little more enjoyable. Um, that being said, I still wasn't, I still wasn't that attached to it. Hmm. Uh, but it's an incredible ride to to watch in a theater. 
Yeah. Well, I, I, I guess I lean way more heavily uh, into the positive side of this. I loved it. I called it a masterpiece on Twitter. Uh, I thought it was one of the most incredible experiences I've ever had in a film. But it may also be because I have a proclivity to like these kind of sand epics, as you gentlemen know. I just have a thing about sand. I mean, you put it in sand and I'm in most of the time. I, I will watch just about anything and I don't know what it is about it. But it gets to me. And I actually enjoyed Timothy Chalamet a lot in the movie. I connected to him a lot. And it's tough to do when you're telling yet another white messiah story. But it really worked for me. And I know this one's going to be different if you guys have read the book, which I'm hearing from a number of people. But I like this performance. I likened this to the DiCaprio and Aviator when he kind of ascends to the next level. That's what it felt like to me. Really enjoyed Oscar Isaac. He was so powerful. Rebecca Ferguson, seeing her play the multiple layers that she's playing with this character as it progresses. The scene with Charlotte Rampling in the box and the hand. That was some incredible uh, acting going on there. And I enjoyed Hans Zimmer's score. It wasn't like Tenet, where it overwhelmed you and you couldn't fucking hear what was happening or the dialogue. You understood what was happening. I hadn't read the book since I was like 16. So it's been a long time since I read the book, and I got it. It's a simple story, really, when you strip everything away. It's just a kid who's been who's born with some powers, and some shit happens to his dad, and he's got to now seek revenge. Pretty simple story, but it's drawn out with so much other stuff going on with the houses, with the crests, with the names, with the intrigue, the political stuff going on with the emperor, who we haven't even met yet. And stuff going on with House House Harkonnen. I hope I'm saying that right. People went crazy on my review because I didn't fucking say Harkonnen, right? But all of that going on is really interesting. And I liked what we got from all the actors and all the characters. They were very grounded, very lived in. I loved this version of Duncan Idaho. No offense to Richard What's-His-Face, but I liked uh, this version of Duncan Idaho, what he was able to do. And when his death happens, I felt that. I felt that death in the movie and i felt that death through chalamet's reaction as well and especially when his dad dies oh man i just love oscar isaac to pieces that moment with him and his son when he's telling him about what he has to do what he's got to do and when they're in the cemetery oh, it was brilliant it's so well done so i don't know what it is about the movie that made me love it more than you guys or maybe attach emotionally more to the characters but i did it worked for me really powerfully and uh and i and i'm looking forward to see what we get in, a, in part two and i thought the part one ended exactly at the right time i was really happy with that sometimes films end like back to the future part two and you're like what the fuck like it's just you just wanted to shove stuff in or halloween kills you just want to shove stuff in so we can get to the third movie and i didn't feel that way in this movie it ended exactly where it was supposed to end i i think i think because i read the book and i think because mm. i knew more what was going on uh, I didn't find myself like Shannon did kind of wanting more information. Like I mm. kind of, I have the information. I kind of know where we're going. And I think that, and just to be clear, like I really did enjoy the movie. Like I yeah, thought yeah. what Denny Villeneuve did is a masterful oh, achievement. And I think direction. that there's something that is really like, he made the Dune movie that he wanted to make. And from an artistic vision standpoint, he clearly had a vision and he went for it. Um, I think that for me, it's kind of like what you were saying about it's a pretty simple story. I think that what makes Dune interesting is uh, it is simple in a lot of ways, but there's mm -hmm. a lot of subtlety, and I think a lot of that subtlety didn't necessarily make its way into the movie. So I think uh, like 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 with the Benny Gesset, like the the witches, the space yes. witches, yeah. uh, you know, just like a, you get a lot more information in the book about what they're all about and how they've been pulling the strings behind the scenes and mm. why they've been pulling the strings behind the scenes and what they're all about and. And, and and there's just a little bit more layered in in there 
um, with uh, the character that, uh, that that Sharon Duncan Brewster played, mm-hmm. uh, Liet Kynes. Yeah, uh, that character, Dr. Liet Kynes, who is a man in the book, and then they made a female, which I thought was a great change, yeah. a lot more with her character and what she's all about uh, as far as Arrakis and the planet. Um, so I just felt like there was a lot of places where there was more subtlety. And look, it's already a two-hour and 40-minute movie. I'm not saying that you needed to make <laughs> it three hours and 50 minutes and fit that more in, but I think that there was places where you could have slowed down a little bit uh, to let the audience catch up with you. Like one of the things I felt about the movie is like, it was just like, we we come in and they're on the planet and they're getting ready to leave. You yeah. get to Arrakis, there's shit going down. The Harkonnens attack, that all goes really badly. Rebecca Ferguson, uh, you know, uh, Rebecca Ferguson and Timothy Chalamet are on the run. Yeah. They fight some people, movie ending. And I think that because it was like, so like, go, go, go. And the score was so wah, 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 that you didn't have those moments where you just got to slow down and really like sit with the characters for a minute. And I think that's the part that I was missing. Um, it was all epic and huge. And that part of it was delivered in spades. Like if you always yeah. wanted to see that epic version of Dune, this movie delivered in it. I think I wanted a couple less epic moments. I wanted moments mm. where we really talked and sort of helped the audience understand what was going on between the Emperor and the Atreides and the Harkonnens, yeah. helped the audience understand how the Fremen felt, uh, which I think we did get a good bit of that. But uh, what, like, what, what Liet Kine's character, Dr. Liet Kine's character was really about. Mm-hmm. Um, and even like some of the betrayals, you know, the fact that uh, the, the fact that um, the doctor, Dr. Wu, I believe, uh, who, you know, ultimately betrays the Atreides, like that's yeah. a much bigger deal in the book. And like the, the fact that the Atreides, even though you had the Harkonnens and the Emperor's army, the Sadakor, like coming kind of coming for them, like the Atreides probably would have pulled it off, except that there was this betrayal in their midst. And mm-hmm. in the movie, it kind of comes out of nowhere. And in the book, it's really built up. So I think there was a lot of things like that that I felt could have... I came out of the movie, and as, some, as much as I'm complaining about the things that I, th- that I think weren't there, I really enjoyed myself. Mm. But when I came out of the theater with a bunch of the people that I saw it with, people who hadn't read the book were kind of like, huh, okay. Yeah. It was beautiful. There was a lot of stuff. I was a little confused. And knowing all this stuff, I was like, oh, yeah, because if you had known this and you had seen this, like this, maybe maybe you would have felt differently. So if you're like someone who loved the movie, great. I'm glad you love the movie. Like, I can't wait to see the second one. And I think also taken as a whole, when this is all said and done, when you can watch the first one and the second one and just you're going to sit down for six and a half hours and really dive into it, I think it may be more of a complete experience. But I think that if you did leave the movie feeling a little bit detached and confused, I do think there was things they could have done mm-hmm. that would have helped you engage a little bit more. Yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah I, I, I agree with that. Um, because like I, thinking of like a big epic that I'm going in with fresh eyes, I automatically think Lord of the Rings because I had not, I had not read those books. And so going into Fellowship mm-hmm. of the Ring, that's... Um, that opening that they had where uh, I don't, it was a Hugo Weaving or, or Galadriel that was narrating at the beginning, but they really caught the audience up. Like this mm-hmm. is the world. This is what has happened. This is where we are now. And they kind of did that. Like I didn't understand the thinking of, okay, the Harkonnens have been on Arrakis for mm-hmm. all this time. They, they are so rich. They're richer than the emperor. The emperor is removing them and putting the Atreides in charge because he doesn't like the Atreides and he wants them out of the way. And I, and I was like, well, why? Like, like I, I need more well, of a reason. And what, well, 
Okay. Go ahead. Go no. Go ahead, John. Go no, ahead. I just want to say, uh, but there is Harkonnen says why Harkonnen says it in the interaction with his uh, second in command with uh, Batista when he rolls in there because Batista just wants to lay waste to everybody, set them on fire, and piss on their ashes. Ashes, and he's like, no, 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 no. We got to do this because the emperor is jealous of the trade because the Atreides are growing in power and influence, and the jealous and, and the emperor is scared that the Atreides are essentially going to launch a coup and remove him from power. So. Let me set this all up so that you guys, you get removed. And there's no way Harkonnen would have left the planet without a fight. So the fact that he, they do leave without a fight already puts the Atreides in a suspicious place. And then then becomes, then becomes everything that happens happens. And but happens. I feel like but, yeah. you're extrapolating a lot more, infla- yeah, that's what a lot they more said. information. That is not what they said. <laughs> he they, that. They, they said the emperor is a jealous, is a jealous man. And that's that all the you Atreides, need to know. The Atreides are rising. And I'm telling in you. In power. Uh, in influence. Uh, that's no, they saying. didn't say that. They said the Atreides are rising, and I said, "Okay, how? Like how?" So, so John is John. John is actually mostly correct. Uh, this is this is this is John has left Hayward Island and is on the island <laughs> listen, of reason because he actually here. is he actually is more more. But like I, but I think so. I think you're both right, and I think that if you are super into this movie and you delve in, there is the the information is there. But I, where Shannon's right is like you don't really get to live in it because like yeah, that's, it is yeah, that's it is fair. that the yes. the Atreides the Atreides are powerful but like the the main thing is that like Oscar Isaac's character like Leto Atreides is so good and such yeah. an amazing leader and so great that he's like this inspirational guy and the other houses would follow him he is that kind of guy and the Emperor is jealous and scared of that and so the Emperor can't just go out and take him down because then the other houses would be like, whoa, the emperor did what? So the emperor has to be tricky about it, which is why this all happens. The other part that's interesting that I wish, and again, it's there. So, you know, don't ding me like it's in there, but I, but I, these are the things that if you had slowed down and really delved into a little bit more is that like Leto Atreides like knows, like, it's not like he's like surprised by this betrayal. Like, like he is well aware of the machinations and everything that's happening. So all that stuff, all that stuff is there, to John's point, but to Shannon's point, you gotta really pay attention and look for it a lot of the time. Right, I think that's fair. And and, and just to give uh, credit to Shannon here, absolutely, you're, you're right in that there we don't spend a lot of time in those moments or we don't get it really kind of fleshed out and explained. And I think that's where in my mind as a viewer, the person that I am, I just kind of put that in because it's that's when casting, when you cast correctly, you can extrapolate things as you're watching, right? You immediately knew that Oscar Isaac, that this guy, uh, Leto Atreides, was a good man, a strong man, a hero, even a noble one. So immediately, I didn't need a to hottie, see... Oh, sure, a I, I, Sure. I didn't need to see uh, examples of it, but I understand what you're saying. You're saying, hey, show me what this guy could do. Show me that I'm supposed to care for this guy. That's totally fair. But I do want to go back on Michael's point. I think there are moments where you... That when you take a break in this movie, there are quite a lot of moments where Paul is lost in reflection. Paul is having these conversations about the visions of Zendaya or where he's out walking around talking to that dude about the tree and the water when they land on Arrakis. So there are quiet moments in the movie. That's fair. Bang, bang, bang. It's just that those quiet moments didn't work for you in the way you wanted them to work. That I can understand. That That's fair. You know what? I think, John, I think Shannon's example of the Fellowship of the Rings or the Lord of the Rings movies I think if you are a person who has read the well, I yeah. think I think here's what I was. Those could have been wish. cut by an hour, but all right, go ahead, go ahead. Absolutely could have been cut by an hour, but like, and I'm not, and we're not even touching the Hobbit. But I think that one of the things that uh, Peter Jackson did well 
yeah, yeah. Um, that I could have used, and and, and they, they did a little bit in Dune, but I could have used a little bit more of was if you read if you've read J.R.R. Tolkien's Lord of the Rings books, those things read oh. like stereo instructions. Yeah, it is no a shit. slog. Like it is just like facts about the battle, and they went here, and they did this, and Gimli said this, yeah. and you know, like and Legolas went here, and it's very dry. It's dry. like if you read it as a kid and it was like your introduction to fantasy, it's great. But when you read it later in life, you're like, this is dry. <laughs> and Peter Jackson extrapolated a lot of character stuff, a lot of relationship stuff, some of which was in the book, but like some of it he really added. And like, you know, I always think of like Gimli and Legolas and their relationship. Like that relationship is definitely in the books. Yeah. But Peter Jackson uh, in directing it and in the screenplay and everything like really brought a lot of that stuff, a lot of the humor and a lot of the interplay between the characters to life in a way that is not necessarily on the page. It's implied on the page, it's mentioned in the page, mm. but where it might say these two had this great relationship, we get to see that relationship happen. Yeah. And I think with the with Dune, I could have used some more um character moments. More mm. more this is like it's it, like you you are right and John that's a completely fair statement. Like they do slow down and you have moments of reflection mm. and you have moments of discussion. Um, I mean, you have, you know, Paul and his mom trapped in a tent for, yeah. you know, 25 minutes. But, really? like, so, I mean, those moments are definitely there. I think that there could have been more moments that made me fall in love with characters. And, again, yeah. this is where I think Denny Villeneuve is maybe not – this is where he's not the strong. I think, like, you can ding Blade, 2040, uh, Blade Runner 2049 for this exact same thing. You're like, this movie is epic and gorgeous and beautiful, and I don't necessarily care about anybody. I'm, in, I'm intrigued – but I don't care so much. I think this is why it works for me because I did care. I was all in on Gosling's story. I was all in on, and that moment at the end destroys me every time. I watch the last hour of that film all the time. Me all too. The time. And I go like this. And I go like this. I go, huh. <laughs> well, we look at that. All right, let's move, let's move on to something else here. Let's talk about the acting in this film. As we mentioned, Chalamet, Rebecca Ferguson, Zendaya. Not, we don't get too much Zendaya. We're sure she'll be all over the second part. Oscar Isaac. Stellan Skarsgård, Jason Momoa, Josh Brolin, uh, Javier Bardem, Sharon Duncan, Brewster, Dave Bautista, Chang Chen, who is the Dr. Yu, uh, David Dasmalchian, Charlotte Rampling, uh, uh, Babs Oloho, Olosan, Olosan Moken. I hope I said that right. So uh, some fantastic acting throughout this movie. What really stood out for you guys? Did you dig the Stellan Skarsgård stuff? Did we get enough with him to build him up as a villain as well in this uh, and Batista as well. Did you guys enjoy that aspect or who stood out for you the most throughout this film? I'll agree with, I mean, I agree with Shannon that I wouldn't ding a single person in this movie. I think okay. everybody, I think everybody brought it a thousand percent. I mean, I thought yeah. everybody was good. I, I really thought Timothy Chalamet did a great job. I, I have already been clear on my feelings on Oscar Isaac. Uh, <laughs> I, I thought Rebecca Ferguson was great. Like from top to bottom, I thought everybody was really, really well cast. I think I wanted Baron Harkonnen to be a little bit more evil. He felt okay. more mysterious to me. Um, I mean, look, visually, he was horrifying, but yes. I just wanted him to be even more, like, disgustingly evil, perhaps. But that's not that's not a ding on his performance at all. He can absolutely mm -hmm. do that. That was just the, those were the choices that were made. Right. Um but yeah, I thought everybody was super. I, I don't. I don't know who I would say the standout was because I thought everybody was really, really strong. Okay, Shannon. Interesting. Well, like I, I really liked. And again, not knowing the books, I really liked Skarsgård. I mean, yeah. Uh, apparently, he is much more evil. But like, just his very matter of fact, um, yeah. kind of laissez-faire nature for everything, I thought really worked. 
for the character. I mean, he was the one that I was the most interested in. Mm. I don't think this was Batista's strongest performance. Um, <laughs> well, to be fair, um, it's not much to do but destroy everything in his way. Yeah. Well, his, his opening scene where he yells, mm. like to me, I don't think he, I don't think Dave Batista, the actor, knew why he was yelling. I think it's written on the page he yells, and fair that's enough. why he did it. Fair um, Javier Bardem, to me, was probably the standout. Um, and I really like Momoa. I thought Momoa yeah. did a really, really good job. Um, uh, Des Malchian, I thought, I thought for the little bit that he was in, I thought he was really good. Um, and Rebecca Ferguson. I mean, that that mm. scene when she and Paul are on that ship with the Harkonnens, yeah, that yeah. is a great scene. Like, like I kind of was able to like, okay, so the voice is sort of the Jedi mind trick. Um, yeah. Like I, I kind of get it when it's where, uh, it's where George Lucas got it. It's where George Lucas yeah. got it from. I was gonna say, it's, wait a second. A I, lot I, of I was, this is, I was, is originally Dune. Yeah, I was. I was having this conversation with my girlfriend. Actually, I was just like, there was a reason when John Carter came out that a lot of people were like, eh, it's kind of Star Wars. I'm like, well, John Carter was first. I mean, George Lucas <laughs> took that stuff from John Carter, and I was like, oh, and I'm like, and I heard he he borrowed heavily from from Dune as well. Oh but yeah. When Lady Jessica used the voice on those guys what an incredible sequence i yeah. mean that was to me that's the villeneuve of sicario that's like the, mm, the yeah it's a good point ratcheted up good to 11 and when yeah. she finally uses that voice it is so unsettling and it is so scary um by the end of the movie again i compare it to lord of the rings like we've got this thing and now our characters are on this new leg of the journey right um I think having that big Urukai fight at Fellowship of the Rings, what in Fellowship of the Ring was superior mm -hmm. to Paul and the one guy fighting. I was like, ah, that was I, like it was great to see Paul take him apart, right. and you saw that sort of um, moral conflict with him that he doesn't want to he doesn't want to kill this guy. Like, yeah. he's just basically like, man, I got you. Like you've lost, but right. I don't want to kill you. Like he's learning, he's learning these new ways. That shot of the the person kind of surfing on the sandworm, awesome shot. I just yeah. wish we'd had something bigger to lead into it. Hmm. it I, I do think we, it, this is, and this is the this is the challenge that comes from adapting a book and just stopping in the middle. Is that I think John's right that they chose the right place to stop. Mm -hmm. Like, like the journey is really, I mean, the movie's journey and, and, and this is where you start to like break down a script and go, well, how can I, I'm telling a half of a story, but within the half of the story, what is this story? Mm -hmm. And this story is you have, you have Paul who has a father who's like, I, I would like for you to take all, to, to carry on the Atreides, the head of house Atreides, but if you don't want to, that's okay. And then you've got mom and her space witches who are like, you're destined for all these other things. And Paul doesn't really know what he wants to do. Mm. And he's trying to figure it all out. And that is definitely what the movie is. And if you had built that up a little bit more and really made a bigger deal out of that fight at the end, maybe built it up in yeah. epicness and the scope and made that moment of decision where he's going to kill the guy and like and then again i'm going to say something that is absolutely in the movie so i'm not saying it's not there it's more mm -hmm. in the volume control like the shannon is talking about it's like this is here and if they had just managed to figure out a way to ratchet it up like that moment at the end where rebecca ferguson is like we got to get him off planet this is what's yeah. going to happen and he's like no <coughs> like he finally makes a decision like he's kind of along for the ride for the whole movie and at the end of the movie he's like no 
this is what we're doing. I'm going with the Fremen. Right. And that is a big moment. And that leads into that is the right moment to end this movie because he's now made a decision. And everything from this point on is a whole other ball of wax that we're going to see when the second movie comes out. So the decision was right, but it was just a how do you make that feel like a bigger finale? Because after you have this whole battle with the Harkonnens, knife fight in the, knife fight in the mountains didn't feel finale-esque yeah because and also because we hadn't got to know Jameis that much through the movie before that challenge happens with paul so we're not really invested in Jameis winning or losing and in his death although it is a noble move because he doesn't want to kill him but it you know Jameis forces the issue even though he's been bested um we don't feel it as powerfully as we should because that's also should be a moment where even someone who senses that he has to save the Fremen from all this situation, even the white savior Messiah must kill a person of color in this moment, a member of the Fremen, and we should know more about that person before so we understand the death of that, the, the resonance of that death to a character like Paul as he's building into what he thinks will be the right leader or liberator of this planet. So that's that's actually a very good point. I felt that too when I was watching it. I was like, I, I the, the actor did a fantastic job imbuing life into Jameis in the limited amount of time he had so that that fight really worked. But overall, we could have had more with the Fremen as well. There could have been a lot more, but I meant I imagine that's coming in the second part. Um mm-hmm. one last one last thing for the uh, all of us to talk about uh, and we talked about how visually beautiful it is. Greg Fraser the cinematographer on this film and also uh Patrice Vermet uh, uh the production design as well. What did you guys think about the cinematography overall and the production design including the sandworms and the locations both in space and on the planets? It, it, it was I mean it was amazing it, it's the same thing I think we said when we talked about the trailer when we mm. did our trailer reaction oh and yeah it's look there's a few Peter Jackson did this with Lord of the Rings I think Chris Columbus did this with Harry Potter it is a masterful feat when you adapt something to make it look unlike anything you could have imagined mm. and also exactly like what you wanted it to be mm. if that makes sense like yeah. like like everything in dune, I when you get into the nitty gritty of the details of Harkonnen coming out of the tar pits, uh, you know the the shapes of the ships and how they looked yeah. so different from what we think of as ships, the alien nature of the costumes and the masks and the helmets that they wore, the Benny Gesset just being creepy fucking space witches, like everything about it. I would not. I, I wouldn't say that I pictured it exactly that way when I read the books, mm. but there was something about the way he did it that, he's, as unique as it was, I was like, "This is right. Like this yeah. is Dune," yeah. and that's hard to do. And the fact that they, like, in my opinion, just nailed it is really, really impressive. Now, those two things that you feel the same way about, Shannon. One hundred percent. One hundred percent. When you, because what is it set? like 8,000 years in the yeah, future the future, like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. Like looking, looking at the design, not just on Arrakis, but what is it? Caledon? Is that the other planet? Mm-hmm. Um, looking at the design of the ships, looking at the design of the clothes to me, that's what the future looks like. Like yeah, the future, yeah. like the, the more kind of space opera stuff that we're getting right now, kind of the guardians of the galaxy, the star into a lesser degree, star Wars, very colorful, very poppy. Like to me, this is what it would actually look mm. like. Like mm. they're, you know, like they're not going to be, they're not going to be using uh, um, neon colors to to you know uh, ha- hang in these ships. Look, mm. I think I think Guardians is great. Are but... there no Are there no gay people in the future? 
I mean, it didn't. It didn't seem like. It. I mean, we we gonna we gonna use know. pops of color. We've got pops of color. <laughs> okay. Um, I I thought the design was just it was gorgeous. I mean, it's it's yeah. literally kind of a win window into the future. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. I, I thought the designs were incredible, futuristic in a way that was um, uh, awe inducing, uh, yet familiar which I thought was brilliant. That's not an easy line to walk. And I thought they walked it really, really well. And the cinematography. I mean, you're right, Mike, pointing out the scenes we saw in the trailer, those were just, you know, jaw-dropping already. Uh, But when you go and see them in context in the film, they're even more overwhelming in their construction and in their beauty uh, overall. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think the movie just does... I I do think Shannon's right. I I think it's good to see the movie more than once. Good to see the movie at home uh, on the couch on HBO Max because... Like, I think when the movie got done, I turned to my friend and I was like, that movie was relentless. And I think just like the visuals are so astounding. Hans Zimmer's score is so powerful. And everything that's happening is so much (laughs) that like, you really do just come away and you're like, I'm overwhelmed. Like, this is so much. And even as we're talking about it right now, like, I think that, you know, my issues with the movie... Mm-hmm. are the issues with adapting a book that is nearly unadaptable. Like mm-hmm. it is, they people have tried so many different times. Dune is such a holy grail. And I think Denny Villeneuve absolutely has come the closest to anybody. I mean, that's Dune. Like what, yeah. what, what we're discussing Agreed. right now, love it or hate it, be confused by it or not. What we are discussing is what we saw on screen was Dune. Yeah. Now, what we're arguing about or what we're discussing is, could they have done this stronger? Could they have made me feel more of this? Could they have made this clearer? But like you're getting into quibbles on something that like is still an, a fantastic achievement. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And the casting, one million percent helps for the people who enjoyed it, I think helps to overcome those issues that you both have legitimately brought up here. So Charlotte Rampling was stellar in the scenes that she, we didn't even mention her that much. She was incredible in the scenes that she got to play. So another quality, quality actress to put in a role like that. All right. Well, that's our overall spoiler review of Dune. I hope for those of you who have been desperately asking for it to feel satiated and satisfied. Uh, We, we were, it was a, it's always a pleasure to talk film with these two. It's one of the big reasons why we started this show. So it's fun to get a, get into the nitty gritty of, of, uh, of these films and, and find out what works and what doesn't work for all of us. So thank you all so much for watching another episode here of the geek buddies and watching this uh spoiler review as well in case i you know chop it out and make it its own video uh shannon uh <laughs> probably shannon what do you have to tell us yeah if you'd like to follow us on social media on twitter it's at geek underscore buddies on instagram at the underscore geek underscore buddies if you'd like to follow me on social media on twitter it's at shannon underscore mcclung on instagram at shannon the geek buddy if you would like to follow mr vogel it is at mk tune if you would like to follow mr roca it is at the roca says mikey uh, we love talking about film, as Johnny said. We love talking about all geek items and geek news and geek events, and we want to keep doing it. And uh, you can help us do that. And here is how: you can smash that like button below. You can subscribe to Johnny's Outlaw Nation page, where there is tons of amazing content. Some of us with us, some of it with others. Uh, leave us a comment below. Let us know what you thought about everything this week. Uh, we love to hear from you guys. We love to engage with you guys. Uh, we love to hear where we messed up and where you think we are awesome. So. Let 
let us know all of that below. Uh, if you are listening to us on Spotify or Apple Podcasts or anywhere where podcasts are available, take a quick minute to give us some stars, leave a comment. It helps us go up in the rankings so more people can find us. And as always, the best thing that you can do is retweet this video, post it on your socials, and tell everybody to check out your good pals, the Geek Buddies. There you go. All right. Well, y'all take care of yourselves. Be well. Go and enjoy something this weekend. If you want to know about Finch, my Finch uh, a non-spoiler review is up now on the channel. Go watch that. It's coming out on Apple TV this weekend. Uh, and uh, we will talk to you next time with another brand new episode from The Geek <laughs> Buddies! <gasps> hey! Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it, or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Bartha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz. And how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts.